Welcome to the hashtag Faring Pod. At Faring, people come first. My name is Zoya Mabuto Mukuditwa, and in this episode, we will be discussing constipation and encopresis in kids. I am joined uh, for today's conversation by our very special guest, Dr. Celeste Kok, who's a pediatric gastroenterologist, joining us all the way from Pretoria. Uh, and Dr. Kok is in private practice. A warm welcome to you. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much, Zoya. It is lovely to be here, and thanks for inviting me today. Wonderful. I think to kickstart our conversation, tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do. Uh, over to you. Okay, so I think you've already mentioned I'm a pediatric gastroenterologist. So I am a pediatrician, um, did my basic degree in pedi- pediatrics. And then I did a subspeciality in gastroenterology. So what that means is we see children basically from the age of birth up until the age of sometimes 18. And it entails any disease affected by the gastrointestinal system, so the tummies, uh, the intestines, the pancreas, the liver, so quite a wide range of diseases. I myself quite uh, love intestinal failure. That is my, that's my, my forte. We've got a, a very nice intestinal failure program going where I'm, where I'm working currently. But yeah, that's, that's what I do. I'm curious about somebody who says I love intestinal failure. I mean, that that yeah, doesn't even sound right. Yeah, what does that, that sounds, mean? It sounds bad, ne? But it's a uh, yeah. We've we've got a very unique intestinal failure unit that we've created in in South Africa. It's it's the it's the only one in private, and um, basically for babies that, whose intestines are have failed them, they they're not working. They can't grow on just intake of normal food. Uh, for different kinds of reasons, different kinds of illnesses. But, um, yeah, we've got a very good group of doctors managing these patients and mm-hmm. we've got a unique program going. Okay. So, yeah, that's what I mean when I say I, I love intestinal failure. Not that it's, that it's a good thing. It's just that we can help these kids. Okay. So I have the right person in the room. I think for me, that's the comfort it gives me that I, you know, you're well equipped to engage or, or to have this conversation with me about constipation and encopresis mm. uh, in kids. You're, you're a children's doctor, a mm. pediatrician. Okay. So let's get into it. And I think a starting place is what is constipation and how common is this in children? So maybe we should start with how common is it first? Well, obviously I don't see all the kiddies first. The parents don't bring them to us firstly. They would obviously sometimes go to the general practitioner and maybe go to the pediatrician. And I would say probably about three to four, five percent of what a pediatrician sees is, is constipation. If we look at our speciality, up to 40, 50 percent of what we see is, is constipation in kids. So for us, it's extremely common. It's part of what we do on an everyday basis. What is constipation, to put it in, in very layman's terms, it's difficulty in passing stool or reduced frequency in passing stool. In other words, uh, we know we're not passing a stool on a daily basis mm. or difficulty. It's painful. There's, mm. there's a problem with passing stool. So that's basically the definition of constipation. But now we have to remember that we get different ages of kids as well. Né? So we get from baby up to almost adulthood, 18 years old child. And different, they have different frequencies of when they should be passing stool. So mm. you can't just apply a blanket definition from baby straight through to 18 years old. 
So, I think that's important. Um, mm. And I hadn't thought about that until you mentioned it, actually, that, that if you think about it, and I've got little children, and I always share this every single time, that if you've got a baby, they were told that they should go more frequently. And as they get a bit older, it becomes less frequent. So maybe just help us with understanding what we should be looking out for or what is considered normal yes. in terms of that across the different age ranges. So again, I think we should be careful to say what is normal because everyone is different. So if we have a, a newborn baby that was born, you know, is that baby being breastfed? Because then we can expect oh. anything from four stools a day or maybe zero stools for seven days or up to seven stools in one day, the variation is very, very wide. Whereas if we have a baby that was never breastfed but was started on a formula, mm. um, very different picture. We would still expect that baby to pass stools on a daily basis but not such a big variation like on a breastfeed baby. And then the question comes in, what kind of formula is this baby taking? We know that our babies on soya formulas tend to be a bit more constipated or have harder stools. So – Big variation, but we know that babies should be passing stools within 48 hours period after birth. If that doesn't happen, then there's a problem. So I think to start off with after birth, oh. within 48 hours, we should have had a stool. If that has happened, everyone is usually happy. No one is stressed. Baby goes home. Mm. And then it depends on how the feeding regime happens. Obviously, if we look at babies in your older categories, three, four years of age, mm. the stooling becomes a bit less. So we now expect two, three, maybe four stools a day. Once we start onto solids, we usually get a bit of a constipation bump in the road because we've changed the diet a little bit. Um, but we would still want baby or child to poo at least once a day. Okay, and not at least once that. a day. I, I'm usually, my patients, I usually say, if your child's gone at least once a day mm. with some extra symptoms that we have to look at, then I'm usually happy. It's once, once the parents start telling me, listen, my, my child hasn't gone for a week or skipping two or three days in between, then, then we start getting a little bit worried mm. about constipation. So the frequency and the age of the patient really does count. Mm. And, um, we have to look at that as well. The other things that we usually look at when we, when we decide if a baby is, or a child is constipated or not, you know, is it painful? Is it sore to make a stool? Mm. Is it large diameter stools coming out or are they tiny, small little pebbles coming out? Sometimes mommies will say, listen, oh, but there's a bit of an accident happening as well. Mm. So, yeah, there's, there's a lot that you have to actually ask for and maybe read between the lines because a lot of our patients do not come with a history of difficulty passing stool, but they are constipated. Sure. So you really have to between, read between the lines. What is the diameter of the stool? How big is the stool? Does it hurt you? Yeah. Quite a few questions to ask. I mean, I think just your response to that for me, I think was eye opening because I'm making the assumption that constipation is constipation is constipation. And what I'm hearing you say is that one actually needs to consider a whole host of, of I suppose, factors that could have caused it. What are some of the causes of constipation in kids? That is a big question, Zoya. Hmm. So firstly, I think I usually like to divide constipation into acute constipation and chronic constipation. We often get children that normally don't have an issue, but then suddenly they struggle to pass stool. And whether this is because they've been traveling and maybe they've gone on holiday, maybe there was a change in the diet, mm. maybe they had an infection of some kind, maybe mom started a new medication on them, but they usually bump back. And, mm. and, and it's not, it's not a major issue. We don't often see those, those babies because that, that's not a problem. 
But our chronic constipation kitties, usually this, these symptoms have been there for a, a period of about three months or more. Mm. And most of the time, it would be a functional cause. So 90% of the kids that we see have functional constipation, which means that there's their organic pathology behind the constipation, behind the problem. So you're talking this. about organic pathology? Yep. I have no idea what that means, by the way. <laughs> so, so, so we're saying, so let's, let's break down this functional constipation, uh, in a way that I, as a mother, <laughs> two little can people it. can understand. So functional constipation means that it, this is the problem lies in the function of the gut. In other words, some patients just have a very slow transit colon. The wow. colon moves very slowly, and therefore they are predisposed to having constipation. Okay. Often there's a genetic component to this. So often if you ask in the family history, you will hear that mom is maybe constipated, oh, and grandpa was constipated, and there's a whole line that you can follow through this family. So sometimes some of our kids are just unhappy that they are genetically predisposed to having constipation. Functional constipation, also a big, big, big cause that, that I see often in my practice is withholding behavior from the child. So, you know, I've got boys, they love to play. They can feel they actually have to go to the toilet, but they need to finish their games and they just withhold it. So they just carry on. By the time they've had to go to the loo, it should have happened two hours ago already. Mm. The problem with that is that the colon's function is that it's supposed to pull out water from the intestine preserve it back to the body. And the longer you walk, knowing that you should have gone already, the more water gets pulled out of your colon, the drier, oh, the drier and the more the bulkier stool your stool starts getting. Ah. So by the time the child actually does go, it's a difficult stool. It's a painful stool. And once a child has passed a painful stool, they remembered, but that was sore. So next time they're going to be a little bit weary of passing again because maybe it's going to hurt me again. Uh -huh. And sometimes it's so sore that they just withhold completely. They're not going to put themselves through that type of amount of pain, so they just hold. And we see this often in some of our smaller babies that have had a painful stool, maybe have had a little small fissure or a tear, and that's extremely painful for them. So they just hold. Yeah. Um, kids that go to school, we know the kids don't like to pass, you know, go to the, to the bathroom, ask the teacher to go to the loo. So they would just hold it all day long. And that's, Probably mainly one of the biggest things that I see mm. in my practice. I ask every single patient, do you go to the loo at school? And 99% of the children will say, no, I don't. I, I just don't have to. Mm. Or just have you seen the bathrooms? Or the teacher doesn't let me go. Or there's no toilet paper. But there's always a reason mm. why they don't go. So I must say that the biggest thing we see is withholding behavior. And to change that perception or change that lifestyle in the little patients takes time it's, mm. it's not something that you just change overnight um so that's I'm, what i'm I mean wondering with functional. i'm wondering and we'll come to more of the causes because we've only looked at the functional constipation for now yeah and this is just an aside i mean i'm thinking about the prevalence of cases where children say to you that they don't go have a number two <laughs> they don't go past a stool at school and again, I can relate completely. My children only pass at home. Mm. And I'm sort of wondering what it is about the school bathrooms that makes them not go that could potentially lead to this constipation anyway. It was just me thinking about mm. um, schools and what could be done there. Mm. Separate conversation. Let's come back to the causes of constipation. So you've spoken to functional constipation. What are the other causes? Uh, well, diet. 
Okay. Lifestyle, we've spoken a bit about, um, but to put into lifestyle exercise, having an active lifestyle always helps. I mean, we know that that stimulates the gut to move a little bit better. So I always advise an active lifestyle, better diet or good and healthy diet. I, I usually try not to, you know, put limitations on a diet or say follow a specific diet. I usually just advise good and healthy diet. Everyone knows what that means. We need all the different food groups, mm. um, whether it's now protein or your fruits and vegetables, because that's where our fiber lies. Now. Mm. Um, and the kids are extremely picky eaters nowadays. So diet is, is a ma- major, major issue um, with our kids. However, saying that, I have to mention that your child can do absolutely everything right. He can be an amazing eater, mm. eat all the different food groups. He can drink enough water for the day. He can have do all the exercise in the world. And he can still have major issues with constipation. Like I said, the major issue is the withholding behavior. Hmm. So even if you do everything right, and that component is not okay, you're going to struggle. And and if I'm a parent, and, and perhaps, I mean, it's obvious for those who have experienced it, they can see something's wrong with my child. But what are some of the things to look out for um, that tell me, yo, this child is, is now constipated? What must I look out for? Very good question. Um, I have a lot of patients that the parents that come to me and say, well, my child is constipated. This is the problem. Can you help us? But I also have a lot of patients that come to me and say, my child's got diarrhea. Hmm. Um, and when you start doing the examination, you say, oh, but this is actually constipation. It's complete opposite of what the parents were thinking. So my message is that constipation can be quite sneaky. Um, <laughs> it's not always so in your face and you can see it. Obviously, um, if your child does not pass stool on an everyday basis and your child comes to you and he says, mommy, it's really sore, mm. it's painful, mm. then you know your child's got an issue with constipation. Um, they may even have a little bit of bleeding on, on in the stool or even on the toilet paper. Then it's very obvious what the problem is. Mm. However, we know that about 75% of our patients pass a stool on a daily basis. So there's no reduced in frequency of passing stool. And a lot of my patients will say, but my child's not constipated because they poo every single day. However, you have to ask those other little questions. Is it hard? Is it difficult? How often have you gone? How much actually comes out? How long are you sitting on the toilet? Because I can tell you with my boys, it's a quick, quick. They want to run. They want to do their thing. And then they want to go and play again. So you have to say, listen, are you sitting five to ten minutes? Are you taking your time? Is there a second and a third stool coming out? Or is it just one comes out and then you run? Sure. So again, lots of things to look out for. Having accidents, 90% of the time that's related to constipation and fecal loading. So yeah. And and, and these accidents would look like a, a child who needs to go to the bathroom and before they get there, you know. Yeah, just couldn't get to the bathroom quick time, enough. etc. Sometimes it just looks like, a, you know, it didn't wipe well enough. There's a skid mark in the underpants on the, on oh. the, on the nappy. Sometimes it's a, it's a bigger amount that comes out, but it, the usual is oh, we just didn't make it. Um, and almost all the parents will say to you, but he doesn't feel it because it happens recurrently. Remember, we're not talking about a child that had one oopsie in time. This mm. happens again. It's a repetitive thing that happens. And then obviously that's got consequences, eh? uh, lots of consequences. But um, uh, yeah, that's, that's when they come to us and then, we actually do our examination. We say, oops, but this is not incontinence. This is, hmm. the problem is bigger than that. And so once you've established that the problem is a bit bigger, what are some of the treatment options that are then available? Okay, so um, I'm going to start backwards with, with the answering this question. So I think everyone, we normally expect to start with 
lifestyle modifications, which is something that we advise, and it's something that should be done. A healthy diet with enough fiber, enough water intake, exercise, all of that stuff still applies. But we have found that about 75% of our patients have absolutely no improvement in their constipation, even though we we apply all of these Hmm. lifestyle modifications. So the answer to your question is really laxatives. Mm. And (laughs) as a parent, we we don't like to hear that we should be using laxatives in our child. None of us want to use them. We don't want to use them on a chronic basis because I think we've got preconceived ideas of, of, of a laxative. But we, really, we've also been traumatized by experiences of, of having to take a laxative when we were younger. Exactly. Castor oil <laughs> all the, and all of the uh, yes. things previously. Um, uh, yeah, luckily, we, I don't have any experience with using that stuff at the moment. But mm. what we do have available, and it works really, really well, is um, your osmotic laxative. So we divide your laxatives into osmo- osmotic, which just basically shifts water in and mm-hmm. out of the colon, mm-hmm. and you've got your stimulant laxatives, which literally drives your colon to move. Uh. And we generally start off with the osmotic laxatives. Polyethylene glycol is usually our number one, or lactulose is the other one. Those are your options on the market currently. Um, and it's a nice polyethylene glycol. is a powder that you mix with water. It gets taken nicely. It's a 60 mil mm. volume, so it's it's a small volume. And basically that shifts water into the colon. It softens the stool and it it, it, it increases the frequency of the stool and okay. less pain because the stool is now soft. However, if you remember earlier, I mentioned to you that um, the colon's function is that it pulls water out the longer we withhold to go. Mm. If you now give your child the polyethylene glycol and water pulls in and the stool is nice and soft, but your child is at school or he's not comfortable where he is, that colon is just going to pull all that water out. So putting all of our faith into the laxative to sort out the problem is not going to sort it out. You really need to use the medication in conjunction with an intestinal rehab or a bowel rehab program that can lead to some kind of behavior change that leads to behavior change so i often say to the parents if you're going to keep on giving the medication without Mm. getting your child into a routine you're wasting your money and your time because you're Mm. just going to go in circles you really have to advise your child to sit on the loo at certain stages um and I actually wanted to mention this after because i wanted to talk to you about the stimulant laxatives first but we can just as well talk about it now so Mm. Basically, with the program or the routine that we try and establish in children, they, we all have a normal reflex. It's called the gastrocolic reflex, the stomach colon reflex. Mm. So when you get up in the morning, your stomach's completely empty. You haven't eaten during the night, so it's empty. You have to have breakfast. And I have a lot of children that skip breakfast because they're not hungry or you know, they've got fecal loading, the colon is full of stool, they're full, they don't ah. want to eat. So they often skip that, which just wor- worsens everything. So you really should have them eat something or drink something. And that stimulates this reflex. And technically, you should feel like you want to pass a stool after you've had breakfast. That's normal. Mm. It's very normal. But because it's morning, we're rushed, we're late for school, we have to get in the car, we had to go, mm. we sometimes eat cereal in the car, on to wait school. So the whole thing is disorganized. So what I tell my patients is that you have to have breakfast. Mm-hmm. Right after breakfast, you go, you sit on the toilet for five to ten minutes, even if you can just do five minutes because I know it's rushed, and then you go to school. 
every time you sensitize that reflex and the colon reacts to it, mm. it takes four to six months. So I think it's good to let parents realize the timing of the situation, how long it's going to take to establish this routine. And in that four to six months, your child is going to be on a laxative. And let me just let me come in here because what what I'm hearing you say is that there's a responsibility we have as parents to to know uh, to some extent what the uh, we'll call it the bathroom etiquette what's happening with my child's system mm. and I don't know this mm. um, I have no idea when my children go by the way. Um, I have a sense that before we go to bed, I typically would say to them, have you gone to the loo? Because I don't want them to wet the bed. Yes. And I've learned, I've learned better habits <laughs> as well there. But I mean, I don't think the average parent is, is paying attention to this enough until it becomes an issue. And I yes. think that's where I'm going with this yes. is that until it becomes a problem, we kind of typically are disengaged yes. um, from that part of their growth and development. Yes. And the problem is by the time you realize there's a problem. It's a big problem. Yeah. It's not going to get fixed with one visit to the doctor. Oh, and let me just quickly give you a laxative. It's going to take a few months to get this child back to where he should be. Because some of these kiddies have been having accidents for a mm. while already. And they often hide it. You can imagine a eight or nine-year-old child, any child that's supposed to, supposed to have bowel control mm. and be toilet trained. You're not going to go tell your mom that you've been having an accident every day. So what they do is they hide it. Um and the parents find it. And that's when you realize, oh, but these underpants have, I mean, I'm finding five different underpants here that's been hit in the cupboard. Mm. And that's when they realize, but then that problem's been there for a while already. So my advice to a parent would be to be a little bit more attentive. Mm. Check if your child has gone to the loo, but be ask a bit more. Not just did I you like go. That. How was it? Mm. Um, it sounds strange, but how was it? Was it soft? Was it easy? Did you struggle? How long did you sit? And just find out if there's a proper, proper routine. Um, because like I mentioned, 75% of our patients actually do go on a daily basis, but there's still a problem. Okay. So, so just before we move on to the conversation about encopresis, I want, I want to talk a little bit about one of the, uh, uh, you know, one of the treatment options you spoke about, which is the laxatives. Mm. Uh, you said laxatives and I already went, mm. is there such a thing as, um, I'm curious about the duration. So for yeah. how long would one typically be giving your child laxatives? Because I think we get concerned when you're now giving laxatives for, for two months, for three months, and, and mm. you're thinking about, you know, is this impacting, mm. you know, their system and its normal functioning? Mm. Yes. Like I said, that is exactly the first thing you think as a parent. Um, is, is this not taking over the function for my child? Is my yes. child now not going to forget how to do this when I take this medicine away? I want to get the message out there that we should be using laxatives earlier and more aggressively. And we use them while we get this child into a routine with the aim of then stopping. Okay. But what currently is happening is that everyone's relying on a laxative to sort out the problem okay. and not getting a disciplined routine going. Okay. So we're going in circles. Okay. So your child's got a colon filled up with stool. Then we remember to give the laxative and mm. then the child's doing really well. But then we go on to holiday. And we stop giving the laxative and now we're eating junk food and the colon just fills up with stool. And then we remember once he's had an accident, oh, maybe we should restart this program again. Mm. So it really takes a bit of dedication to push through. 
then then it should just be about a four month period. Mm. The 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 problem comes in with your more difficult cases where there really is a motility issue of the colon, or um, in your children that have got some difficulty. If we think about your autistic children, and we mm. think about some of your ADHD kids who tend to have more fecal incontinence. Um, we see fecal incontinence four times more in boys than in girls. And that's what I see in my practice. So you get, you do get some of your patients who are a little bit more refractory to mm. the original plan of let's just do it for four months. How I like to put it to my patients is if you do not use the laxatives, the outcome of your child having incapresis or incontinence is major psychological issues, social withdrawal, mm. um, bullying. You can imagine what happens to that child at school um, smelling, mm. and they just ignore it because what must they do about it? Walk around at school. They, they can't clean themselves. Mm. They, so they walk around. So you really have to weigh up. If you do not use this program, you do not use the laxatives, what's going to be the outcome of, of this problem? We we tend to stick to osmotic laxatives, like I said, mm. because the the gut does not get dependent on them. It just shifts water. So um, okay. I've I've had a few of my patients that come to me and said some of my colleagues have said, listen, only two weeks on laxatives, and then they stop it. But and then I usually say, please carry on. My it it, it does more. You get more benefit from it than you get harm from it. Um, obviously, there's a child here or there that gets a few side effects to it. You know, they bloat a little bit. They can get a bit of cramping. Um, and then we might change to something else. But the point is laxative therapy has to be on board. And and you spoke to a you spoke to a time frame. You said, you know, we could start to see some some changes, uh, some positive results mm. in a space of about four to six months. Mm. What am I seeing that's giving me the sense uh, that things have improved? What am I seeing okay. after that four months? So it, it really all depends on the child and how progressed the, the condition is. If we have a child that's got, because of recurrent fecal loading, we have the colon that's now stretched out or the rectum is now stretched out. Um, the child doesn't have anal tone anymore, which means they don't feel. And all of them will say to you, but I didn't feel it. I didn't know I had an accident. So in those children, we might be looking at a longer period of time, okay. you know, up to a year. But what you should be seeing is no more accidents. Okay. Um, and we'll often start in a child like that that's actually loaded and impacted. We'll start with a disimpaction where we give aggressive laxative therapy for a day or two, dislodge everything, everything comes out, and then you carry on with this maintenance program. Mm -hmm. Just like one stool softener a day and getting the program ready. But the, really the child will show you the progression. Okay. If the child is lazy to do the work, you're going to see no progression. Mm. But in the child that really puts in the work, you'll soon see that he says, mommy, I want to, I want to poo after breakfast. Then you know the reflex is working. Mm. So you could probably start weaning down the laxatives. So where you would normally maybe give two sachets, now you can start giving one sachet and this child is still passing stool very mm. nicely. I usually um, give my parents a copy of the Bristol stool chart. So there's a nice stool chart of all the different types of stools. Mm. from little pellets <laughs> to what I like to call a lunch bar. Mm. Everyone knows what a lunch bar looks like. Mm. And the kids can visualize, oh, but this looks like a lunch bar. It's mm. knobbly. It's hard. Um, a banana-shaped poo, which is the ideal poo we want, nice soft edges, and then obviously the more diarrhea-like stool. So there's seven different ones on the page. Mm. And I usually tell my little patients, you have to look every day. Mm. Look in the loo and you say, Mommy, 
today this looked like a lunch bar. And then mommy knows to adjust your medication, maybe a little bit more, maybe a little less. So the children are actively engaged in what what is wrong with them. Mm. Um, mommy, I've got accidents again. Mm. Um, so the support needs to be there because they're either going to hide it from you because mommy's going to discipline me. I'm nine years old. Mm. This shouldn't be happening anymore. Or they're going to feel like mommy's on my side. Mommy's going to help me. She's going to give me more medicine. I'm going to tell mommy the accidents are back. Mm. And that's really the way we should be going. Because reoccurrence can happen. And it does. And it does happen. I mean, I was speaking to, just ahead of, of, of today's conversation, I was speaking to somebody who I know had, had a similar issue. And I said to her, so how are you managing it? She said, look, we're managing it with diet. And I said, so have there been no reoccurrences? And she said, actually, we've had one or two. And I said, so how did you respond then? And she said, oh, no, I just go and get that laxative powder. Um, and so I think this speaks to yes. what we've discussed yes. already. Let me let oh. me move on uh, because you've been mentioning the word encopresis and we spoke about it when we introduced what mm. we're going to be discussing and we haven't uh, touched on that yet. Let's talk a little bit about, so what is encopresis and how does it differ then from constipation? Okay, so constipation is literally difficulty with passing stool. You're not getting it out. Encopresis is basically soiling or fecal incontinence. So this is the deliberate or the, the voluntary or involuntary passage of stool in a social unacceptable place. Um, in other words, in your, in your underwear or in your nappy, in a child that supposedly should be potty trained already. Mm. So obviously no child wants to do this on purpose. So we find it's an involuntary passage of stool um, into your underwear. So, so it's not controlled. Accidents. It's yes. not controlled. And that's why they will often say to you, but I didn't know. I mm. didn't feel it. And then often the parents will say to me, but how can you not feel it? He's lying to me. And they genuinely do not feel it because the rectum is so stretched out that they lose that, that sensory, that feeling. Um, so that is basically in, um, incontinence or incapricious. But 90% of the time, it's due to constipation. I was about Fecal to say, learning. if we're talking about the causes, um, I just remembered earlier, and I'm thinking about that water that's being drawn out because my behavior is that I withhold mm. um, and it eventually gets to the place where I now can't. Yes, I can't, can't hold it. I can't hold it yeah. and, and it starts to okay. leak. Yeah. So, so let's talk to, are, are there other causes? Are there other possible causes of encopresis? Yeah, so again, we, we see this... Um, in different kids, so we, we, we tend to split them into two. Mm. So you've got your retentative fecal incontinence. That is your typical child with constipation in the background. In other words, you can see your little one wants to pass the stool, but he's struggling. So he's clenching his buttocks. He's going on to tippy toes. He's stretching out his, his body. You know, he's, he's, he's trying to hold it in, but it wants to come out. That's retentative fecal incontinence. And then he leaks. Then, then there's an accident. The other one is your non-retentive fecal incontinence. So that is your child that does not have the constipation in the background. Um, there is no cause for it. You've, you've done all of your investigations. You haven't found another cause for, for this. Um, these kids do not feel it. They don't have pain passing stool. And that is usually a bit of a more emotional, psychological connection to those kids. We've even connected sexual abuse to that, bullying, um, some of our autistic kids do this. So that is a little bit of a different group, which is luckily more in the minority group. 90% of our patients, if you have fecal incontinence, you should really think, does my child not, 
is it not backed up? Is there not constipation in the background? Mm. So those are really your two different ones. And then obviously that and maybe just to just to step in there because I want I want to be certain that I'm understanding. So so in those instances that would typically show up as that retentative. Mm. So kind of this ability to mm. still hold it. Mm. Uh, okay, great. Yeah, posturing. And then in, the child is posturing. You 100%. can see he's doing something okay. to change his posture, not to postule. Okay. Yeah. And then obviously in the in the in the other cases, so where it might be psychological, etc. This is where I have absolutely no sense that I need to go to the bathroom and then I just, I have the accident. Yeah, and you've got no constipation issue underlying. Okay. Your child's never passed a hard stool. He doesn't posture. It just happens. Sure. He's just busy doing with whatever he's doing and it just happens. So again, it, it's, it's a fine line between figuring out which one is which because most parents will come to you and say, no, but he doesn't feel it. In both instances, they don't feel it. And if your parent is not really focused on the symptoms at home, it's going to be up to the doctor to figure out do we have underlying constipation or fecal loading or is this non-retentive? And maybe let's unpack that more. So so how does a doctor then go about diagnosing uh, encopresis? So I think a lot of this you get from the history. Um, I mean, our consultations with our patients is an hour long to talk about constipation. It sounds ridiculous, but there's so much information that you have to get. Um, and we've spoken about all of these things, a lot of about it already. So from the information from the mom you want to know how many times a day, all of these things that we discussed. Mm. You want to know basically from birth, has there been a stooling issue? Has there been an issue with different foods? Do, do we have reactions to different foods? Now mm. you want to see is an allergy a part of this? Is celiac disease a part of this? Is if you have a gluten issue, you can have constipation. That's how you present. So that's talking more towards your organic issues. Um, so history taking, massively important. And then from there on, we'll obviously go towards a, an, an examination. And often you can just feel the bulky stool sitting on the abdomen. Um, and then you, you've got your answer already. Um, from there, we obviously do a neurological examination as well because we know, you know, if, if in case of this child's got a problem with the nerve innervation of the colon, then the colon's going to be slow. Mm. If there's a problem with sensation in the anal tone, he's not going to be able to feel. Um, we do a full neurologic, neurological examination of the legs. You know, are the reflexes there? Is the power there? Um, and then from there on, we, we try to mm. do a rectal examination. But I must be honest, I choose which patients I think will tolerate this and which ones not because mm. a lot of them are very fearful. Yeah. You can imagine if you've been passing stool and it's been extremely painful. Yeah. And then sometimes mommy wants to put your suppository up your bum and that's painful. So there's a very negative connection mm. around the anal area and a big psychological component with this because you feel guilty. I shouldn't mm. be having these mm. issues anymore. And now the doctor comes and she puts a, a finger up. So we really see which ones we are able to do this with and which ones not, but we generally try and examine the anal area to see if there's a neurological problem, um, if there is bulky stools on the inside. Um, so with your exam examination, you, you really get a lot of information, and it's often really not needed to do special investigations like x-rays mm. and motility studies. From from just doing that, you, you, you can get to a diagnosis fairly easily. Mm. I'm... I'm I'm traumatized a little bit. <laughs> just just thinking about it. I mean I'm 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 a parent like I say and 
and and some of what you're you're speaking to I've experienced some of it I've I've heard from other parents that it it, it can be quite onerous it can be quite hard mm. for parents and for mm. children um yeah. let's how how can we assist the parents who are listening to to help their children overcome uh encopresis I think education, getting the word out, I think that's the, that's the great thing about this podcast is to make people aware that this is a big problem. I don't think people think that constipation can be such a huge issue. And we see it on such a regular basis. And I think for parents to understand the pathophysiology around this and how does it work, it's not something that's going to be there just for a day. It's going to, mm. this is going to be a problem that might just grow in magnitude and get worse. And, it's not just a physical problem. It becomes a major psychological problem. And once we're there, we're going to struggle to get back to mm. balance and normal. And what I wanted to emphasize, um, and I mentioned to you quickly before, is the support. Mm. If your child does have this problem, you need to make very sure that your child understands that you are supportive. He's not going to be disciplined. And, and let me just – let me. Yeah, Touch on that in. support. I'm going to jump in on that support bit because I think, and I could be wrong, that oftentimes our tendency as parents is to be quite judgmental, actually. Mm. So, so your child comes and, and mm. they, they feel some level of comfort to say to you, look, mommy, I did something today that's never happened before. I wet my pants. And, and, and we get quite judgmental, you know? Mm. Mm. And so when I think about that support, and, and I'm talking as a parent here, mm. that, I think sometimes it is almost about catching ourselves in the moment before mm. you move into that yes. judgmental yes. or I want to punish. Because you should know better. You, you know, are old you're, enough. You're old enough. Yes. And, and I think yes. that's, that's the immediate reaction. Yes. And I think most parents do that. It's a, it's a natural reaction. And, and I mean, I've gone through that with my own kids. Um, it really is a natural reaction. But if you start seeing that this is really an issue and it happens again and again, you really should have a big mind shift because you're going to make the problem 10 times worse. Mm. So I think support um, your child at all stages and then help them through it. Focus mm. on this is what we should be doing, buddy. This this is how we're going to do the toilet routine. This is how you should be sitting at the toilet. And you help him through it and make him a part of it. I often like to say to them, use star charts because – there's also a fine line between forcing your child into a program, and some of them are very stubborn. I'm not going to sit on the toilet. I don't feel like sitting now. I'm not going to do it. And then your relationship breaks down with your child because you're forcing him into doing something he doesn't want to do. So I often say to the parents, choose your battles. Do star charts. You know, reward him for when he does actually have a poo on a regular basis, on a daily basis, he should be rewarded for it. Mm. Star charts, if he's done 10 poos in a row, he has to get some kind of a reward. And that, that works fairly well. And the kids, they buy into the program then. They're not being forced to do it by themselves. And so, I mean, I love what you say about, about the necessity of us to make that mind shift. Mm. Um, and I think we can be empowered uh, through, through education. So to mm. really be informed and to understand so that we can give our children the support that they need. I want to go to, and you touched on this as well, where you said if encopresis is present, it can lead to other factors, so psychological factors in mm. particular. And so I can become stressed or I can become quite anxious as a result of my constipation or encopresis. How would we address these underlying issues? So it's gotten to the point where it's now a psychological issue. And mm. I hear the bit about the support, but how else mm. do we address something that's now become psychological? You know what? Often I find 
so when they come to me for the first time, these, these children are amazingly anxious. Some of them don't even sit down in the chair and they feel extremely guilty to tell me, listen, I'm a 12 year old and I have accidents. So that is so difficult for them to get out. Yeah. But I think once we sit down and I, and I explain to them with a picture, this is what's happening in your body. This is why you have accidents. You're not lying. You genuinely don't feel it. And the parents are there as well. And I think when they understand why it's happening, they already feel, okay, this is not just all on me. And this is very common. I make a point of telling them, dude, I can promise you half your class has got the same issue. You just don't know it. So I think once they feel they're not alone, mm. this is a bigger problem than just me, mm. and they understand why it's happening and that they can actually do something about it. This is not forever. Mm. Then they already feel better. But we do have... Some kids out there that really need additional therapy. So a lot of the kids would have gone to play therapy already before they see me, or I would advise, listen, guys, maybe we should do a bit of play therapy, a little bit of more extra support. And I would often engage with, with the school staff as well, but maybe with the teacher and say, listen, and I write letters all the time <laughs> saying, you need to let this child go to the toilet. Whenever he feels like he needs to go, he needs to go. So mm. we really try and empower them at school, at home, mm. with the parents, mm. and make it a safe environment to be able to manage this problem. So, Doctor, are there any long-term complications associated with uh, constipation or encopresis in children? And, and, and how would parents, you know, prevent some of these long-term complications? Yes, so definitely there are. If this, um, if this becomes a neglected, neglected problem and it's been there for a while, mm. We can get kids with severe abdominal pain, as you can imagine, all that fecal loading. There's just no space for anything else. So they get severe abdominal pain. That often leads to not going to school for prolonged periods of time. Now the child gets stressed because he has to catch up on work. We have kids that don't want to eat because they're full. Now we start having kids that have got failure to thrive, losing weight. And then with that, because of the rectal vault that dilates so much because of all the fecal loading, that can often press on the bladder that's just in front of that mm. and because of the constant irritation on the bladder we can now start having recurrent UTIs urinary tract infections yeah. which we see often and if that irritation continues long enough the bladder in layman's terms starts getting a thick wall mm. and now the bladder just cannot expand so we can't have you know a, a, an expanding bladder with with a good volume urine in there so whenever the child just has a small little volume of urine in there they need to pee so this is your child that will go to the loo often and mm. say, mommy, I have to pee, mommy, I have to pee. Yeah. And even if you then sort out the bowel, the bladder stays a problem because now it's already been irritated for so long. So yes, definitely. We, we, some of our kiddies, the, the intestines dilate so much that even if you use your laxatives, it just doesn't have an effect anymore and we have to start doing rectal washings. So, and I'm not even talking about the psychological effects of this. We think we've covered that now already. Mm. So. Definitely long-term complications. That's why I emphasize the use of laxatives mm. strongly because we don't want to get to the point where we have to manage these long-term complications. You use the word fecal loading and you said quite fast. At some point I thought I was hearing fika. <laughs> and I thought, how is fika loading? Fecal loading, speaking yes. to the loading of or the excess of feces in the, in colon. the colon. Yes, so <laughs> excessive amounts of fecal loading. We all have feces in our colon on a constant basis, which is normal, but there is a threshold. So if there is too much, that becomes a problem. And we, we often, what we often see is if you have that, mm. you can get bacterial overgrowth. So your normal flora in your colon 
overgrowth, too much of them, mm. and they produce gas. So now kiddies are bloated, mm. they're gassy, they fart often. They laugh at me in my practice when I say, listen, did you fart often? And the parents will say, yes, excessive, and it stinks. That's bacterial overgrowth. So that's just another sign that maybe there's fecal loading, they don't want to eat, they're nauseous, they're crampy, they pup, they're tired, bacterial overgrowth, which is another long-term complication that we can find with, with fecal loading and constipation. Okay. So, so we actually need to be asking questions, you know, mm. on, on some of these things that we're observing. Mm. Um, I mean, again, I'm sitting here eyes wide open and I'm <laughs> thinking about uh, another one of the children uh, who really hates to go to the bathroom. She hates going to the loo. But, uh, you know, when she farts in the house, everybody goes, oh, we know it's you. You run, yeah. Yeah, no, we run. We yeah. know it's her. Yeah. And, and I, I suppose I'm making the linkages between uh, her, her resistance or her hesitation to go to pass a stool and what you're talking about, mm. where there is a fecal loading and, you know, there's some kind of bacterial something. Mm. Overgrowth. <laughs> bacterial overgrowth. Yes. Okay. So, I mean, I'm learning a lot very here. Very common. I am learning a lot here. And some of it is very common. It's very But common. we're not asking the questions. No. Uh, and I suppose to your point, we also aren't empowered, uh, you know, with the education so that we can understand exactly what's happening. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So you've, you've given me, I've got work to do. Loads and loads and loads <laughs> of talking. <laughs> Great. Let's, let's talk a little bit about the warning signs. What are some of those warning signs that constipation or encopresis may be indicative, so maybe indicating something more serious? Yes. So I'm thinking about a condition such as, uh, you know, IBD, uh, inflammatory bowel disease, mm. or some kind of bowel mm. obstruction. Yes, I think almost everything we spoke about today is linked with functional constipation because it's so common. But we do need to be aware that there are other conditions that can present with constipation or look like constipation, but is actually something else. Mm. So there are, I like to call them red flags or warnings. So if your child's got rectal bleeding and it's persistent, you need to see a doctor. Because not all rectal bleeding is a hemorrhoid or a fissure. You know, it might be infection or inflammation of your colon. So that needs to be checked out. In girls, in girls, I, I mean, how would you pick this up? So you'd pick it up if somebody was wiping and then mm. you see blood on the, on yeah. the, on the blue paper. Or on the stool or mixed or on in the, the stool. stool or in the toilet. Okay. Yeah. Or on the underwear, etc. So you'd pick it up. Okay. Yes. yes. Okay. Any excessive abdominal pain or distension needs to be checked out. Any Just repeat that. Any excessive? Mm. Excessive abdominal pain. Okay, so they've got or, pain in the abdomen. Or distension of the abdomen. So it's, it's bloated. It's big. Uh -huh. Okay. Any child with fever with these symptoms. So I'm not talking about your child just with an average fever. Fever mm. with gastrointestinal symptoms, that, that's not constipation. That needs to be checked out. Okay. Any child with excessive vomiting. Any child not gaining weight. A child that's refusing to eat. That's a problem. It's natural to eat. We like to eat. Aren't they all like that? Don't they all refuse to eat at like yeah, age but seven? They, but then they catch up again the next day. Yeah. So we're not talking about pickiness. Okay. Uh, we are talking about the child that is on an ongoing basis. I don't want to eat my food. Okay. Um, I'm not hungry in the mornings. I'm full. Okay. Yeah. Early on when the baby's born, delayed passage of stool. If it's gone for more than 48 hours and your newborn has not passed a stool, that's a problem. Needs to be checked. We're thinking specifically of Hirschsprung's disease, which is a, a nerve innovation problem of the colon that needs to be checked mm. any child with urinary incontinence so bedwetting you know if they're by the age of they should have control um, that should be checked out and then constipation from an early age infancy early on 
should always be checked out. Mm. Okay, I think, I mean, I think this is useful. Um, and I think what you've done is to really bring it to kind of the things that we typically would, would observe or mm. see mm. on a day-to-day basis. So what resources then are available uh, to parents of children with constipation or incopresis? I think, wh- where do we root them to, to get that information so that they can be better, you know, mm. informed, you know, so that they can um you know, change some of their their behaviors Mm. and and they're empowered to do so. So there's a lot of material online. Mm. Um, I don't think it's always a good thing just to read anything that you, you know, don't just type in constipation and read whatever comes up. Mm. There's a lot of weird information on there. Use, use olive oil, use brown sugar. None of that stuff works. None of it? So no, that doesn't, no, it doesn't. It's a waste (laughs) of time. Um, so I really want to advise if you're going to read on the internet, Mm. read, good information read from good sources mm. i find that up to date is mm. the one one website that has really got good information it's a specific section that says patient education beyond the basics that's a really nice always up to date information that your patient will get um the royal children's hospital in melbourne's got a website on constipation that's really good they can they can go have a look on that mm-hmm. and then there's a really good youtube video mm. from gi kids and it's called poo, The Poo in You. The Poo in You. The Poo in You. And it's by GI Kids. GI Kids, and it's on YouTube. Very nice video that explains how you can get incontinence, what happens with the stool, what happens with that reflex. You know, when you have your food and there's this reflex happening that tells you to go and have a poo. Very nice visual. Can I watch this with the kids? Definitely. Okay, it's really great. for them so they can understand. How it works. Okay, great. Very nice video. I, I usually show my patients this one. Love it. Uh, somebody the, the, the other day in another podcast said, if you're reading information and there is a consistency in what is said across three or more articles, then you believe mm. it. And mm. I thought that was, that was useful that, as well. I think that is good information, yeah. Okay, I great. Agree. Thank you so much, doctor. I, I, I walk away feeling a lot more empowered uh, than I was when the conversation started, and I certainly will play my part and become more responsible um, in that respect. But I think you've said, you know, a couple of very important things. I think I love, you know, what you said about the the importance of parents giving that support, uh, and 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 perhaps, uh, you know, being willing to make that mindset shift themselves. Yeah. And this can only happen through, uh, you know, reading up, uh, yes. watching those YouTube videos. And I think the resources have been provided. Uh, I love that. So to date, uh, one of the websites you're recommending, uh, Royal Children's Hospital, Melbourne, and of course, that wonderful YouTube video, The Poo in You. How and can so you forget on that? that note, I am going to thank you so much for your time. Thank you for all you have shared so generously. I know that those who are listening will be impacted positively. Thank you so much once more. It's my biggest pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the hashtag Faring Pod. Join the conversation by following us on social media. We are on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube under Fairing South Africa. Have you been diagnosed with IBD? Download the Fairing IBD Health Diary app today. The Fairing IBD Health Diary app is available on the Apple App Store and the Android Google Play Store.